Please be aware that the very hot weather warning is in force. That's all the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Fact Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Danny Gittings. Today we're talking about how to further drive down the smoking rate in Hong Kong. And the government has just released a new document to consult the public on how to do just that. It's full of different ideas, such as a ban on selling cigarettes to people born after a certain year, expanding no smoking areas, higher tobacco tax and increasing the fixed penalty on people who walk and smoke at the same time. Health Secretary Lo Chung Mao says the aim is to reduce the city's smoking rate from 9.5% to 7.8% by 2025. So what do you think are the best ways to cut down smoking? What should the government focus on? After 9.45, we'll find out more about this year's Streetathon community race. Let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Or you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Dr. Derek Chung, member of the University of Hong Kong Smoking Cessation Research Team, and Dr. David Lam, medical sector lawmaker. Good morning, uh, Dr. Chung. Good morning. And good morning, Dr. Lam. Good morning, James. Thanks for joining us on the program. Now, um, Dr. Chung, the consultation document, uh, of course, it contains many different suggestions. Um, Which three, in your view, are the best ones? Well, I think uh, the critical moment for the government to, to launch this uh, consultation, I think um, uh, it, the proposal covers several effective and evidence-based uh, uh, policies to reduce, further reduce booking, the booking presence. I think the, the, the very first important thing is to uh, increase the tobacco tax, uh, which is, has been shown very effective measures to, uh, to further reduce the smoking presence. All right. And Dr. Lam? Well, many measures over there are quite useful, and it's very hard to uh, pinpoint which is most useful. But as the professor pointed out, there's lots of studies worldwide showing that increasing tobacco tax actually helps to encourage people to quit smoking. But another measure which is quite important is really to draw a line after, I mean, the birth rate, birth date after which. Uh, they should not be allowed to purchase tobacco products legally when they, even when they grow up uh, because we do not want new smokers. So the increase in tobacco tax encourages people to quit smoking more and then you draw a line that just to inhibit um, new smokers from coming into society. So I think that is also useful. Um, Dr Lam, I think we might call that the New Zealand solution, mightn't we? Because New Zealand's the first major jurisdiction in, in the world, as far as I understand it, that ha- has adopted that. Um, but it, uh, New Zealand's still very much in a minority. Um, I mean, we're not seeing that in large numbers of other countries. And uh, if we look at that proposal where the government puts it forward in the consultation paper, it's in very tentative terms. And you can imagine that there'll be a, there'll, there'll be a lot of opposition to that. Yes, of course. Um, there's a, well, I still remember someone said it's a Newton's third law. So um, for each action, you have a similar and opposite reaction. Uh, so it is true that there will be quite lots of opposition. But if that is the correct way to go, then we have to go for it. Who in this world wish their children, their own children, to become smoker when they grow up? That's just a question. Even if the parent himself smokes, 
I think very, very, very few of them would wish their children to become smokers when they grow up because everyone knows it's just really common sense that smoking is hazardous not only to health but also dangerous to our lives. Right. Dr. Cheung, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, yesterday, the health secretary, he said uh, the government wants to find out whether it's suitable for Hong Kong. Do you think it's suitable for Hong Kong? Yes, I think so, because I think that the also effect of this policy to try to denominate smoking, because we still, still see many people uh, in Hong Kong in the streets, outside, you know, plaza, still many people are smoking, and it is also exposed. Many, many people, many young people, children exposed to these smoking things. So I think um, the, the measures here to expand, uh, I mean, um, to, to uh, increase the age of uh, buying, to, to purchase tobacco or expansion of smoking free area, all these measures try to denominate uh, this smoking behavior in Hong Kong, which is also important for, for us to further reduce the prevalence of smoking. Now, there are a number of press reports that suggest that there were other proposals as well that didn't eventually make their way into the consultation paper, including um, requiring shops to have uh, licenses before they can actually sell cigarettes and requiring anyone who's purchasing cigarettes to uh, uh, use a, a government app to uh, verify their identity. Um, uh, Dr. Lam, what, what do you think about the, those kind of even more radi radical proposals? Well, I mean, if you want to buy alcohol in the United States of America, do you have to produce your photo ID? I think you have to. So it's just nothing very draconic. It's quite normal. If you want to buy something, the law requires that you reach some age so you have to show you are. <laughs> it's, it's simple. Well, why are we having an issue with that? Well, it's not even been put forward as a, as a proposal for consultation. So it must have been considered that uh, there were some problems with it in Hong Kong. No. Now, uh, we must understand that most people, no, most new smokers, uh, start before they reach the age of 18, usually school students when they start smoking. So if you increase the age limit uh, for, for allowing them to buy cigarettes, then that helps because very few people start smoking after they reach adulthood. So it is useful. It is also evidence-based. Now, the um, vast majority of our smokers are our older generation these days, aren't they? I mean, I know people are still concerned about smoking about by, by young people, but the percentage of young people smoking is, is tiny compared to the, the older generation. So um, how is having these restrictions on younger people really going to address the main problem at the moment? Well, I mean, if there are so few people taking, uh, uh, smoking when they're younger age, then the rule or the new rules is not going to affect them very much because... After all, they're not using the product, so it is quite a easy way of preventing a resurgence of a smoking habit. You never know. I mean, uh, it's nothing fashionable. We all understand it is nothing harsh. It is hazardous to health. It kills people. It is carcinogenic. But then the way they are packaged makes them feel like they are fashionable, and then they come with new uh, packages and new flavors, and sometimes they have other ways of making it appealing to young people so before they have new attractions then we must just draw a line no no way don't so, just you can't buy it so restrictions on young people if they're relatively it's few young people um smoking it's not going to affect them so much but at the same time it's not going to do so much to reduce smoking in hong kong if most of our smokers are are elderly and also particularly the um the health problem, the chronic health problems that come with um, with smoking, which are you, you're, you're, you see you see in the older generation. So it's, it's a slight problem there, isn't there, Doctor Lam? Yeah, that's why different proposals uh, has different purposes. 
So the proposal of increasing the age for buying cigarettes is not for the elderly people who have been smoking for 50 years. For them, the most important way is to reduce the content of nicotine in the smoke and try to help them quit smoking. Right. I want to go back to uh, Dr. Chung. I mean, earlier you said uh, um, increasing tobacco tax uh, is one of your your uh uh, one of the options that, that you think it will actually be uh, most effective. Um, and now we're looking at maybe increasing uh, the tobacco duty to around 75% as uh, recommended by the WHO. Do you think, I mean, if we do do that, um, do you think it should be done rapidly or, or gradually every year? Well, actually, in, in most of the places in the world, where many countries have uh, do these, um, uh, these implemented, uh, continuing increasing the tobacco tax every year or every two years and this is so uh, this is a very effective measure to to reduce the smoking traffic and actually in hong kong we can see that in past 10 or 20 years the, the pace of increasing tobacco tax is very slow we have one once increase in 2009 2011 and then 2014 and then after eight or nine years last uh, this year 2023 we have just more increase so it's very very um Infrequent increase of in tax, and also not following, you know, the inflation, the inflation of Hong Kong. So the affordability that these people are more, still more the, the tobacco product is still more affordable for the Hong Kong people to buy. So uh, I think it's not very rapid to increase tax every year. So uh, it is actually a very effective measure. Right, but do you think it should be done uh, all in one go? I mean, should we increase the tax to seventy-five percent, for example? Well, I think well, I think governments should also have the concern about um, uh, to people's accessibility about this uh, rapid increase. But I think that the I think I like to point out one thing is that uh, ten years ago, uh, twenty two thousand nine, we increased by by fifty percent, by fifty percent of the and the increase in um, uh, I mean the, the, the reduction in preference is very very uh, large. But when we have very uh, small increase in tax. People still don't feel the, the impact on them. So I think we, we, the government needs to, to balance. We should not reduce by too small proportion in one go. But maybe in long, long term, we should increase maybe step-by-step, uh, step increasing. Um, every year, we need to do this. What, what about the impact on illicit cigarettes? I mean, would it uh, worsen the problem, do you think? I mean, if we increased uh, the tax uh, by too much in one go? Well, I, I think illicit cigarette um, uh, consumption is one of the issues people concerned that uh, it, they think that uh, the increase in tax will have uh, will lead to more illicit cigarette consumption of or, or this this market. But I think we need to really um, think about the tobacco uh, impact to Hong Kong. We actually, I think the proposal has always also mentioned that uh, actually five point five billion dollars are lost uh, every year due to tobacco. And also, um, I, I know that it's not just not from the news, but also from our data, we, our survey data showing that not all smokers are opposed to this uh, tobacco tax increase. Many people also said that when the tax, in, uh, they, when the tax increase, they will m- have more motivation to quit smoking. And they won't change, they will, won't use uh, uh, these illicit cigarettes. They want to quit, actually. But they need the push by the government to do this. 
Let's go back to Dr. David Lamb on another mm -hmm. of the proposals in the consultation paper, which is suggesting that there should be a uh, ban on smoking and walking. I mean, for non-smokers, which is most of us, so certainly it's, it's a great annoyance <laughs> when you have someone walking nearby who's, who's smoking. But um, I, I'm not really sure how this would work. I think it's, it's mentioned, isn't it, that um, if there's a ban on smoking and walking, then somebody can just stop walking if a control officer comes up to them. Uh, Dr. Lamb, <laughs> what, what are your views? <laughs> Yeah, you can uh, draw 150 circles in Hong Kong and you can only stand there and smoke. Otherwise, you are against the law. Uh, I think this is just part of the big picture. And now, there are rainy days, and if you walk on the street on rainy days, either you walk into the rain or you'll be following someone who is smoking. Yeah, so or you walk thing, under yeah. balconies, balconies, and there will be a line of people smoking around you. So that breaches my freedom of not smoking. Okay. So now people who walk and smoke, the problem is with um, like people who don't run, uh, elderly or children, young children, if they follow that person for say 100 meters, then all that period of time, they'll be um, smoking just the, the secondhand smoke. So it's just not fair to them. That's why if there's always been a discussion of that people, if they want to smoke, they just stand there, do not walk around, otherwise they'll be spreading the smoke and people who follow them will have to, are forced to, to smoke. But then it is all about force and law enforcement. I think it is very difficult to enforce, although um, I would still suggest that we seriously, we seriously consider that. But going back to the issue on tax, the cigarette tax is a very abnormal type of uh, setting. If you look at private cars, the tax rate, there's a tax rate, and it is packed to the car price. But for tobacco, no, it is not tacked to the cigarette price. This is a fixed amount of, a fixed sum of money for each cigarette stick. So I think if we pack that to the uh, selling price of uh, the cigarettes, then it works better. And you do not really have to go to the legislative council and ask for a hike in the tobacco tax every time. So if we keep that at 75% of the overall selling price of all cigarettes, that is easy. All right. So, all. right. So, if, like, I mean, according to the proposed uh, tax increase, for example, seventy-five percent, it would make uh, uh, the current price of cigarettes, which is uh, at uh, seventy-four dollars right now, to approximately a hundred dollars. Uh, do, do you think it would uh, discourage people from smoking? Yes. Yes. There are studies and predictions from uh, academics. I think Professor Joe knows more about that that predicts if we increase the selling price of cigarettes to over $100, then more people will uh, quit smoking and we, are, we stand a better chance of achieving 7.8% uh, of uh, smoking in our population by 2000, uh, well, it's two years from now. Let, 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 let's ask Professor Chung about that. $100 a packet of cigarettes? Uh, yes, actually, this is not... Um, I, we, we did actually do, do the survey with uh, the COSH, uh, Hong Kong Council on Hong Kong Smoking and Health, and we see that actually uh, uh, not all smokers are opposed to tobacco tax increase. And some portion, a portion of them, actually, they, they will say that. I, I think around more than half of people say that they will either quit smoking or reduce smoking when the tobacco uh, uh, retail tax increase to $100 or even more. And we don't see that actually the proportion of converting to use uh, uh, illicit cigarettes will increase like this proportion. So I think um, uh, actually... You, you, when you want the smokers to really feel um, uh, the impact of the, the tax increase, I think that the, 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 the uh, retail price uh, needs to be concerned to be increased to up to $100, I think. 
Okay. Uh, Dr. Chung, one thing really struck me in the government consultation paper, talking about the um, health problems associated um, uh, with smoking and, and the burden on society, said that the increase in uh, chronic disease among mid the middle-aged group is even higher than in the elderly population in Hong Kong. And that that, uh, that means that we're going to have, re and of course, not all chronic disease coming from smoking, but smoking contributing quite a bit to uh, the chronic disease. Well, I think uh, the, the government actually put a focus on this elsewhere, the, the aging problems, the link with this tobacco problem, the tobacco issues. And we see that actually uh, tobacco actually cause, uh, uh, lead to many kinds of diseases, cancers, cardiovascular diseases, COPD, and so on. So many health problems due to this uh, uh, tobacco. So I think, um, so I think, Actually, people when this is really uh, when they get elderly, they, they have the longer smoking history. It, it seems we see that um, they will find it difficult to quit. So actually, I think the proposal we, we want to see is um, uh, not only targeting on those older people, but we want young people when they are not too addicted to tobacco problems, tobacco addiction, they can quit as soon as possible, so that they will get to quit easily, more more easier than uh, those elderly people. But why would it be the case that the increase in chronic diseases is even greater among middle-aged people rather than elderly people? You'd expect the elderly people to having the greatest increase in chronic diseases. I think the, those health problems are going to happen. Um, that when people are smoking, maybe middle-aged people, they, the, the health impact, the health problems not being shown in just one or two years. But after five years, ten years, when they go into an older age, so the health problems will appear, those chronic diseases, including diabetes, lung cancers, and all kinds of problems. So I think middle-aged people should also be the, the, the target uh, to, to quit smoking. Right. I just want to go to one of the suggestions in the uh, consultation document. It's about the uh, fixed penalties, uh, um, fixed penalty, uh, which, which is uh, set at uh, $1,500 right now. And in the consultation document, it's suggesting that uh, it's suggesting a higher fine of uh, maybe 3000 or $5,000. Um, what's your view on that, Dr. Lam? Well, is it necessary to, to go up to $5,000? Um, it's a deterrent effect. Depends very much. I think any deterrent is useful, and a higher deterrent, higher the the cop, I mean, I mean the fine, the bigger the deterring effect. And if you increase that to five thousand, which is similar to a more slightly more serious offence, uh, then that is certainly more useful. Uh, I would certainly think five thousand is more useful, and we should look at that as the aim. Now. Uh, going back to the question why we may have a bigger increase in mm. chronic disease in the relatively younger or middle-aged people rather than the elderly, I think that is just the result of a modeling. And if we are going to answer the question of why, then we'll be, these are just proposals. Uh, one possibility is that people who live to the old age, they are... They have already proven themselves to be more healthy. Oh, right, yes, of course. Yeah, but the younger ones, especially in, in these days, if you see some drivers who sit in the car all day long, never do any exercises, uh, they would have high cholesterol, they would be overweight, they have high blood pressure, and maybe a lot of them have diabetes. So we expect a lot of increase in, in chronic diseases in that particular age group. And some of them may not make their way to old age. So by, say, 70, then the chance of you having new diseases is still there, but probably um, the increase is lower 
the or the acceleration is lower than when you are slightly younger. This is slightly beyond the scope of today's discussion, then, but you can say that Hong Kong has a, in terms of the, the much more elderly generation, has a relatively we healthy do. population, doesn't it? Yes, we do, we do. Uh, and uh, partly that's because when they were young, let's just talk about 20 years ago or 30 years ago, then we are not just affluent as today, and people eat less meat, uh, more vegetable, and possibly they do more exercises at work at least. So things are changing, but we do expect a, long, a longer uh, survival, I mean a long, longer age uh, of living for people, even younger people in Hong Kong, which is optimistic. So we are facing almost a health time bomb, aren't we? Uh, and smoke, smoke is not the only cause, but smoking is, is one it's part of It's not the only cause. It's, it's not, the only. not the only cause, yes. Okay. But you, if you look at the number, it increases. I mean, it, the, the burden on, on economy is great, and the burden of, on health care is also great. So it's not only about a personal problem, it is also a social, a society problem. 5.5 billion economic loss per year, 7,000 life loss per year for Hong Kong only. So uh, not talking about the loss of workforce, so we, it's a big problem. So it's not only a personal issue. Let's return to the issue about what you were discussing just now. You were saying that you favoured um, increasing the fixed penalty uh, fee and even that $5,000 would be OK. And I, I understand the public health reasons for that. But still, if we look at other fixed penalty uh, uh, fines, uh, that's really – there would be a huge disparity. And from, what, from memory, uh, illegal parking is about $300. Uh, so are we saying that uh, smoking a cigarette is um, – uh, 10, 15 times more, more serious offence than, um, than illegal parking. And there, there'll be many other examples which, um, uh, where the, the fixed penalty fine is only a few hundred dollars. Yeah, but you don't cause health hazard to people around you if you... Well, you can cause uh, <laughs> safety hazards. I mean, it can be very severe safety hazards. So you can have traffic accidents. I do remember when in during the pandemic, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, when we implemented the mask, we want people to wear masks in the industry. If they don't wear this, at the end, it's up to $10,000, actually. So compared to, to this restriction, I think $5,000 is, is quite frightening and not too high, not, compared not too high than 10 mask restrictions. That is a good comparison, actually, because, of course, the, the fixed penalty during COVID was also for health reasons. I mean, more yeah. more immediate and severe. But nonetheless, that, 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 that I suppose that does make the argument. So it's justifiable to have uh, much higher fixed penalty um, fi um, f fines for, for health-related reasons. Is that what you're both saying? Uh, Dr. Chung? Uh, well, I, I do actually think that, um, uh, well, I... I mean, five thousand dollars is uh, it would be we show a, a bigger impact to these um, uh, people not to smoke in uh, you know uh, in this uh, non free area, and then um, uh, uh, you know it is also about our health, about our uh, we want people to not to do that. So uh, it's not really not, I, I think it's not too high compared to that mass uh, restriction penalty, fixed penalty. On the other hand, we have to think about the impact on low-income groups. I mean, it's uh, when that we had those fines for masks. I mean, there were a lot of stories about Filipino helpers, domestic helpers being fined a month's salary and things like that. I mean, I don't think that, that means domestic helpers smoke, but um, um, you, you can imagine for, for low-income earners, you can wipe out a, substa a substantial amount of a, a month's income with a, a fixed penalty like that. Um, yeah. Is it fair, Dr. Lamb, is it fair on low-income earners? 
I don't see too many domestic helpers. Yeah, I, as I said, not, not, not domestic helpers. There, there, <laughs> there are plenty of other low-income owners who are not domestic uh, helpers. So. Yes, exactly. So the, the way to get around it is to really help them quit smoking so that they have more healthy life and then they have less diseases and then they have more disposable income. Isn't that fair? I mean, why, why do they have to stick to uh, a hazardous habit that's just going to pull up the help when it gets older? And if that's going to um, make them retire slightly earlier so that they have less to spend when they become old, that's not fair to them. So I think it's just only fair that we try all measures to encourage them to quit smoking as soon as possible. Therefore, increasing the availability of quit smoking surfaces and perhaps more free quit smoking surfaces will be very useful. All right, uh, Dr. Lam, I'm afraid we have to take a quick break for the news. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dr. David Lam, medical sector lawmaker. And uh, Dr. Chung, we can continue our discussion afterwards in around uh, two minutes' time when we will be joined by Hanish Mitchell, founder and director of Factasia Consultants Limited, and Dr. Daniel Ho, a member of the Hong Kong Council on Smoking and Health. Now, if you want to ask our guests questions or share your views on today's topics, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And here's a quick look at the weather. Mainly fine apart from isolated showers. Very hot during the day with a maximum temperature of around 34 degrees in the urban areas and a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. The very hot weather warning is now in force. Winds light to moderate southerlies. 30 degrees at the moment, relative humidity 70%. It's now 9.30 with the news summary. Here's Andrew Shirovsky. President Biden has said that Russia badly underestimated the resolve of NATO when it attacked Ukraine. Speaking at Vilnius University at the end of a NATO summit in Lithuania, Mr Biden said the alliance was stronger and more united than ever. He promised NATO would support Ukraine for as long as it took to win the war. The executive board of the International Monetary Fund has approved a three billion US dollar bailout program for Pakistan. The IMF said the arrangement had come at a challenging economic juncture for the country. The money will be dispersed over a period of nine months. And after days of speculation, the BBC's highest paid newsreader, Hugh Edwards, has been named as the presenter at the Centre of Claims that he paid a teenager for sexually explicit images. In a statement, Mr Edwards' wife said he was being treated in hospital for serious mental health problems. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. There are reasons to be happy everywhere you go in Hong Kong. Enjoy local and global cuisines and have fun along the way. Get immersed in the world of light, shows and carnivals. Joyful moments for all. Want to explore special bazaars? They are just around the corner. Pop culture? Victoria Harbour is our stage. Happiness is all around you. Come and join us. Taste the joy, share the fun. Happy Hong Kong. There are reasons to be happy everywhere you go in Hong Kong. Enjoy local and global cuisines and have fun along the way. Get immersed in the world of light, shows and carnivals. Joyful moments for all. Want to explore special bazaars? They are just around the corner. Pop culture? Victoria Harbour is our stage. Happiness is all around you. Come and join us. Taste the joy, share the fun. Happy Hong Kong.
Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Danny Gittings and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the program is Dr. Derek Chung, member of the University of Hong Kong Smoking Cessation Research Team. Also joining us now is Dr. Daniel Ho, a member of the Hong Kong Council on Smoking and Health, and Hennish Mitchell, founder and director of Asia Consultants Limited, a non-profit group that specializes in smoking issue. And uh, good morning, Mr. Mitchell. Good morning, Mr. Mitchell. Hello. All right, so maybe uh, let's uh, go to uh, Dr. Chung first. We're trying to get hold of Mr. Mitchell. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Oh, hi, hi. <laughs> and uh, earlier we were talking about uh, um, the different uh, uh, um, suggestions in the consultation uh, document. Um, in your view, I mean, when we talk about all those uh, measures, do you think um, with all those measures, um, the government can achieve uh, what, what they want to achieve, basically, is to reduce the smoking rate here by 1.7% to 7.8% in 2025? I think it's quite challenging right? because uh, we still only have um, two years to go. Uh, we now have 9.5%. And, and you know, in the past uh, few years, the, 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 the trend of this decrease, the decreasing trend in uh, the past 10 years actually is lower. It, it's getting slower. So um, I think the, the government really has the determination and really has strong uh, uh, to do the, these policies stronger. And, you know, for example, the tax increase and the... Uh, um, also, other other measures to reduce the attractiveness of the tobacco products. All these have been done have to be done within one or two years to show the impact, which is quite challenging. And but it's not it's not impossible. It's not impossible. But I think um, the government needs to uh, really have the strong um, uh, determination to do this, to collaborate with all more parties, the smoking cessation providers, education sectors, medical sectors, to to, to have hands together to to do to uh, to also. Uh, have these launches to have these discussions and the policies to be implemented. Right. Now, let's now bring in a Dr. Daniel Ho, a member of the Hong Kong Council on Smoking and Health. Good morning, Dr. Ho. Oh, we're not having so much luck with uh, Dr. Ho this morning. Well, let's, let's go back to uh, Dr. Chung again, because I wanted to pick up on uh, what you were saying, saying just now, because the um, uh, looking at the uh, government consultation paper, saying that the although the uh, actual smoking prevalence among uh, secondary school students is very low, um, uh, they say only 1.2%, what they're really worried about is what they call the prevalence of ever-smokers. I think people who have smoked at some stage, uh, which is, uh, uh, they say, among secondary school students is uh, 7.4%. They seem suggesting although you don't have so many children smoking regularly, you have a lot of children who are experimenting with smoking. Is that right, Dr. Chung? Yes. Uh, actually, compared to some other countries or maybe uh, China or other Western countries, we see that the presence of, of smoking, uh, the, the daily smokers in those uh, young, uh, young people like uh, secondary school students are uh, completely low. I think it's because of our are very successful measures in um, uh, banning all those uh, advertising promotions of the tobacco products in, in, in most uh, media channels. And I, I think um, but we, we are quite concerned about uh, we still need to do some more for these young people to, to really have a generation three uh, of tobacco uh, in this for this generation. Because when young people get start to, 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 to smoke, they were very easy to get addicted and very difficult to quit. And actually, um, you see that um, the government always say that one in two smokers uh, will, 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 will have the, the true death. 
excuse is tobacco, but actually for younger people, more evidence showing that this risk is even higher, not one in two, it's two in three smoking. Two in three smokers, if they, they pick up this smoking habit in young ages, they, two, two out of three will, will be died of tobacco-related diseases. So I, I think, um, so we, we should not ignore the people or, or we, uh, we should still need to do more for this, uh, to reduce the, to have them not, not more experimentation of this smoking in this young, younger generation. All right, let's uh, now bring in uh, Hennish Mitchell, founder and director of Factasia Consultants Limited, a non-profit group that specializes on smoking issues. Good morning, Mr. Mitchell. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the Thanks show. for joining us on the program. So what do you think about the uh, suggestions in this uh, consultation document? Uh, largely, I think they're, they're, they're very valid. Um, I think we're, we're looking at uh, the possibility of... Uh, of finally ending the death and disease that tobacco consumption causes, and I think uh, it's great that the government has uh, opened up a, a consultation. Uh, and yes, we support the general concepts presented, except for the continuing war against tobacco harm reduction and safer nicotine products. I frankly see this as a step forward for tobacco control, but yet another step backwards for tobacco harm reduction, which is a, a, a very valid and uh, necessary uh, tool to help people quit smoking. So let's go down to specifics. I mean, the government has, uh, this is only for consultation, but they've proposed, for instance, considering the New Zealand solution, where you would, uh, you would ban people um, uh, below a certain age from ever smoking in their life. W w what is your view on that? Well, I think the New Zealand generational end game is definitely on the table, but the New Zealand government endorses and encourages smokers to switch to far less harmful, safer nicotine products, such as vapes, through its own website, vapingfacts.health.nz. This is a government website uh, with the health department encouraging smokers to quit to vaping. So they're giving a, a, a all possible off-ramps to smokers. They're not, they understand that, uh, um, uh, that there's more than one way that's going to cap here. Uh, New Zealand has also stopped tax increases on cigarettes because it realised that it was doing more harm than good. Sorry, why do tax increases do more harm than good? Because uh, a significant number of smokers in New Zealand are marginalised, poor communities, uh, and their taxes... It, it doesn't seem to help them quit smoking. It just puts further punishment on them, uh, 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 so consequently, they said, look, this isn't really working. It, 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 they're not quitting smoking. They're just getting poorer from this. So we need to find other strategies to help them. And vaping is, is one of the platforms. And the generational endgame is another. Now, the whole, you can't whole take something away from an adult smoker without giving them some opportunity to, to quit. Uh, Hong Kong government has actually proposed uh, toughening the legislation banning or, or alternative smoking products in Hong Kong. And, and it's, uh, it's illegal to import them, but it's not actually illegal to, um, to actually possess them at the moment. They suggested maybe possession you should, all, should also be against the law. Um, you presumably you don't support that, right? Because you're saying, you're, you're saying that... No, absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look... Uh... Tobacco harm reduction is naturally a, a linchpin of the FCT, WHO's FCTC Framework Convention on Tobacco Control. It's ignored, though, because there's um, a significant uh, a pushback by vested interests who have political and commercial reasons to, to want to protect their 
opiate cessation, pharmaceutical therapies, and the political world. Uh, this is, you know, it's a complicated issue. But the bottom line is that one size doesn't fit all. Some people can quit cold, cold turkey. Most can't. They need help. So patches, sprays, gums can help some people. Vaping, snooze, uh, heat not burn can help others. Uh, it's pretty, I mean, the, the, the science is very clear on this. It, it, yes, I get it. There's 12 cases that have been uh, presented by the WHO, most of which have been uh, research papers, uh, most of which have been thoroughly debunked by hundreds of, of, of other legitimate scientific uh, research. But they continue to, to, to promote the, the, the flawed science. So it, it's highly contentious. If this was a court case and the evidence was presented, I'm afraid the uh, anti-vaping lobby would be thrown out because the evidence is just simply not there. It, there's so much more evidence that... That, that indicates that what's being presented to us is just false, incorrect, not true. Um, if this was a court case, it would be thrown out because the evidence just wouldn't stand up. All right, let, let's go to uh, Dr. Chung. Dr. Chung, mm. so, yeah. so what do you think of uh, what Mr. Mitchell is saying here? He's saying that uh, increasing uh, tobacco tax uh, doesn't really work because it just uh, simply doesn't help smokers quit smoking. It just makes them poorer. Well, I actually, I, I don't agree about this. Most of Many of the uh, evidence shown by uh, scientific studies showing that uh, tobacco tax in many countries, when they have done this, uh, the spoken preference can be further reduced. I would just like to want to act to respond one point about this uh, vaping and the harm reduction th- th- thing. Because uh, in Hong Kong, I, I personally don't, don't agree that uh, to, to use uh, vaping or other alternative tobacco products to, as a way to help people to quit smoking. Because in Hong Kong, uh, our preferences already know already. We don't. We, 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 we don't want to go back. We don't want to, uh, to launch new products for these, these uh, kind of tobacco products to, to quit smoking. People can use many effective uh, medications, uh, effective counseling services to, to quit smoking to help them. And we're also concerned about younger generation. If we have these uh, products to go into Hong Kong, we, we can't imagine that Hong Kong, the, 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 the low the preference in using this process young generation will be increased, like other U.S. in U.K. All our countries, this this pattern. So I I don't agree with this uh, approach. But what Dr. Mitchell was saying, what, what sorry, what um, Mr. Mitchell was saying was that uh, there's no one size fits all solution, and that um, <clears throat> just that there, there, there are other ways of quitting smoking as well. But for some people, uh, vaping and these kind of alternative smoking products, for some people, they they may help. Uh, but- well, uh, well, what I want to see is uh, some. I, I see that there are in these uh, two uh, two decades many studies on uh, e-cigarettes or do all these other tobacco products to help quit smoking, showing the effectiveness. But I think we still need more evidence. Uh, the WHO has actually has not uh, confirmed that it's a it's a good it's a it's an effective product to help people uh, quit smoking. When this is uh, used as a consumer product, it's not. Are prescribed by by uh, by doctors or, or, or pharmacists, it's still not a, a a good approach for people to use this way to to quit smoking. In Hong Kong, we have many free uh, smoking cessation services to provide to provide to free smokers. Uh, so all these uh, medications are can be bought over the counter. So I think we we do have many ways to quit smoking in Hong Kong already. 
All right. I have an email here from Mike, and uh, I mean he's responding to some of the, uh, the the overall like the suggestions in the consultation document, and then he says, um, "I have a prediction." He says, "I see a real increase in smoking clubs, smoking rooms, members only," and uh, that's from Mike, Dr. Chung. What do you think of his comment? He seems to be questioning whether the the uh, measures suggestions in the document uh, would be uh, effective. Well, I, I, well I, I think the, the way Hong Kong um, to go in this proposal, we do have many measures. We do have many considerations here, people's acceptance or which one to go first or which one uh, is high priority. I think um, we, we, but we, should, we should still look at into the, 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 our target, set our target to really um, to reduce the preference to 7.8% in two years. So we, we really think we need to consider which measure can be the, 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 most, the fastest way for us to, to use to launch that, to, to, to achieve the goal more effectively. So, yeah. All right. Uh, we now have da- Dr. Daniel Ho, a member of the Hong Kong Council on Smoking and Health. Good morning, Dr. Ho. Thanks for joining us on the program. We're just, dis- uh, we're just uh, discussing the effectiveness of some of the suggestions in the proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, your, what's your view on the, uh, uh, the consultation document? Well, I think it's come uh, at a timely uh, moment. Uh, basically, it is to make sure that uh, the government can achieve the target of 7.8% uh, smoking preference by 2025, just about two years ahead. Uh, I mean, if we can uh, get the opinions of Hong Kong people quickly and uh, put them into action, then I think we should be uh, cautiously optimistic that we may achieve the, the goal uh, by 2025. Uh, how about the most radical suggestion we've been discussing with our other guest earlier, what we call the New Zealand solution, where you um, actually ban the people who are born after a certain year from mm-hmm. smoking altogether. Do you, do you support that, Dr. Ho? I think this is uh, actually a very mild proposal because we're talking about that case before, before we will see major effects uh, uh, based on this so-called smoke-free generation proposal. And we have known the harm of tobacco for many, many decades, and we still allow tobacco to be sold legally, and this is actually ridiculous. We should have banned smoking long ago, right? So uh, it, it is just a very mild proposal. We're talking about uh, not letting people who are about, say, 14 years old now uh, to be ever be legal to buy cigarettes or other tobacco products in Hong Kong. Uh, we could have done it more quickly by other ways. So, well, <coughs> sorry, what other ways? If you say this is a very mild proposal, sounds like you, you, you would support something stronger. What would that be? Well, we have done a lot of uh, surveys um, among the Hong Kong the people, including smokers. And we uh, uh, consistently found that uh, about two-thirds of Hong Kong people, including smokers and non-smokers, who support banning tobacco use altogether in 10 years' time. In 10 years, not in decades, in 10 years. So this is a very mild proposal to uh, not allow uh, youngsters from buying tobacco in their whole life. Okay, uh, and let's just, just go back to Mr. Mitchell because we weren't quite clear on your views on um, banning smoking for a younger generation altogether earlier. Um, is that something you actually support, Mr. Mitchell? Uh, I, I, I don't support any bans of any kind because you lose control of the market at that point there. But uh, I, I think it's 
definitely valid to consider this. I think it, but again, I think you have to make sure that you've got all the tools available for adult smokers and even kids who've started smoking to, to find a way, a pathway out, because it's really difficult to quit. And we know that it, survey after survey, at least 70% of all smokers would like to quit if they could. They just can't. So for some people, um, vaping will work. For some people, patches will work. For some people, uh, the water metal will work. For some people, high taxes will work. So I think we have to have a broad palette because we have to end with the, the, this terrible uh, uh, addiction that people have that's killing them. We have to end it. But we need to put all the tools on the table so there's every possible opportunity for an adult smoker or a kid to quit smoking and never pick it up. Um, and, you know, I, so essentially I'm not against a generational ban, uh, though I think we have to consider the, 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 the human rights aspects to it. But, I, again, I think in general the needs of the many outweigh the wants of the few. But tobacco is a pernicious drug. It's really, really bad. Um, and smoking is killing people. Look, we, there was a survey done in, in, in the Philippines on causes of morbidity by the Polytechnic University of the Philippines uh, from 2000 to 2021. Uh, and over that period, they discovered that every 10 seconds, a Filipino dies from tobacco-related diseases. In that entire period, 22 years, there's been one reported death from vaping, but that was probably not nicotine vaping. That was probably a PAC uh, um, drug pen that was imported from the state. One right. death All right, in Mr. the last Mitchell. 22 years. It's not such a big issue. Should be should be on the table. All right, uh, uh, Mr. Mitchell, uh, we have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And that's uh, Hennish Mitchell, founder and director of Factasia Consultants Limited. And also many thanks uh, to uh, Dr. Ho, uh, Dr. Daniel Ho, a member of the Hong Kong Council on Smoking and Health, and also uh, Dr. Derek Chung, member of the University of Hong Kong Smoking Cessation Research Team. It's now 9.50. And in a moment, we'll find out more about this year's Street of Thorn community race. 25 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, I'm Michael Wong, the Deputy Financial Secretary. For the past 95 years, our THK has shared a common journey with Hong Kong people. Going forward, I trust that our THK will continue to provide Hong Kong with more programs that are rich in content and that can move our hearts. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. Organisers of the Streetathon says uh, this year's event will feature a brand new route and a new category for young entrants. The Streetathon, which comprises a marathon in the heart of the city, a cross-harbour half-marathon and a new 10-kilometre route across the Chengkwano Bridge, will take place on December the 17th. To uh, tell us more about it, we're joined on the line now by Anders Leung, the CEO and co-founder of social enterprise Run Our City, that's organising the event. Good morning, Mr Leung. Good morning, all. Thanks for joining us on the program. So, um, Street of Thorn is uh, back after a two-year break. Um, Mr. Lung, can you tell us more about the event? Well, the event actually is, um, uh, uh, we have been uh, starting the Street of Thorn since uh, 
2014. And this is the eighth edition this year. Um, well, you, as you all know, that pandemic stopped us for two years. That's why um, it's great. We are happy to have another one this year. And this year, our theme is Marathon for Good, Party for All. And actually, the, the most highlight should be um, we finally got a full marathon distance. And then uh, plus the half, ma- half marathon and the new 10K routes, it, it would be a great um, attraction for runners, I think. Yeah, it's the new 10K route, right? It's, it's, you're gonna be, it's gonna be the first runner ever, I think, across the Chunkwano Cross Bay Bridge, which only opened fairly recently. Well, yes, um, actually, uh, I, I would say this is a really tough and creative and persistent uh, result. And actually, uh, at the moment, I, I would say, uh, when we when we start thinking idea, actually it's still in pandemic. During we, we we don't know when Hong Kong will be open up, and then we we still uh, the whole team is working hard for making our street run to be full marathon distance. And at the same time, we we have an idea why not to have to build a 10k at the same time to really build a strong uh, get get uh, get back. To, um, to Hong Kong for the street run and attract more overseas runners. Uh, that's why we want to add more new substance. And this new route for 10K is actually from Lohars Park and then uh, one through the, the, the Cross Beach and then to Jen Nam uh, Tunnel. And then suddenly the runners would, well, suddenly to be in, in Guantong and then pass through two really major iconic constructions in Hong Kong. So it would be great, I think. And we add on for this, we have a new initiative to have the first time Street of Born Asia uh, Youth Run 10K. So this is mainly for students. We really want to encourage them for uh, the youth to participate in a healthy and long-distance running. And those who do the half marathon and the marathon can run through the Eastern Harbour Crossing, can't they? I mean, anyone who's done standard charter and knows this really I, I, I've experienced myself incredible feeling isn't it to be able to run through a cross harbour tunnel and merge on the other side of the harbour well um, to clarify I, I think uh, for the full uh, for the half, a full marathon and half marathon they, they run a different uh, cross tunnel uh, rather than the Jeng Lam the Jeng Lam run uh, they actually the first, they, they will run through um, I mean they, they, they also run into very uh, new construction actually they, they run from the Cutsway Bay and then pass through the uh, 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 Central and Wan Chai tunnels and then uh, uh, this is the first time to open up for runners the Central Wan Chai is the first time to open up as well, then, right? Yes, yes, exactly. You've got a lot it's of new time. time I mean, especially <laughs> because you haven't been able to run it for do it for for several years, and in the in the meantime, we've had new construction in Hong Kong, so you've got opportunity to be the first in several areas, haven't you? Oh, yeah, exactly. Because of the pandemic, I would say <laughs> that's why that's why our last Twitter phone actually 2020. We, we try to we try to run through this as well, but well, at last. Because of pandemic, we can't make it on the 2021 or and 2022. So, so we we now doing this time to pass through that uh, central one side, one side uh, corridors, and then um, actually the runners will go, cross back to um, to to the eastern tunnels and then go to the Kowloon side. So, and then uh, run around the harbor and well, really the full marathon within the city center. Now, you've got these tunnels closed for you, which that's great. But the downside, of course, is that um, uh, the drivers want the tunnels reopened. So you have to have these really quite brutal early start times. And it's looking at them, right? Half marathon, 4.45 a.m., the marathon, 5 a.m. I mean, I know standard well, charters well, like that as well, but it, it's still pretty <laughs> brutal, isn't it, those kind of times? 
Well, you're exactly right. Actually, I'm a runner as well. For for your information, <laughs> I, I I I well, to be frank, I don't like this as well. Uh, not not very like this as well. But however, I I think uh, as a city marathon, especially the in the center, we need to balance everyone uh, the, the the benefits. I think uh, we we want also want to open up the usage for the general citizens. So uh, as a balance, and then uh, for the information, the earliest is actually you're right at uh, at four. 45 so early, but it would be uh, only for the elite half marathon runners. So for the uh, general group for half marathon, actually it's 6.50. Well, not not very late, but still a more acceptable time. Right, and, and how many runners uh, will be able to take part in uh, this year's uh, streetathon? Well, we're targeting uh, 20,000 for uh, total runners. And then we try to have uh, 1,500 spare for uh, non-Hong Kong residents. So you're really hoping to have quite a few international runners coming in? Well, I, I, we, we're targeting this. Uh, frankly speaking, uh, period eight, uh, seven additions, we didn't have this uh, kind of our strategy to uh, focusing to attract uh, tourists. But this time we collaborate with Hong Kong Tourism Board and then we try to make this event, especially this year, as a kind of mega event to attract people to understand more Hong Kong, the beauty of Hong Kong, the openness of Hong Kong, the unified of Hong Kong. That's why um, we, we try to spare at least 1,500 for foreigners. This is different from Standard Charter. Standard Charter, do, they bring in elite foreign runners and they're offering them big prize money. I don't think you're offering prize money or certainly not big prize money. You're just looking for sort of ordinary visitors to Hong Kong, aren't you, as opposed to elite foreign runners. Is that right? Well, yeah, you're exactly correct. We don't have that much resources and then to attract them by money. But in, in another way, uh, we try to build a really fun... Uh, international and then with more substance, I mean, uh, a more social impact uh, event to attract the international runners. I think um, on top of our positioning, actually, it's more fun. We we have the happiest costume award. We really appreciate them. We have uh, many special food. We have a pasta party like other international marathon or distance running events. And then uh, we, we try to uh, have more substance inside uh, the whole week campaign to attract the foreigners. And on top, we, we try to collaborate with other NGOs, uh, more than 10, and then to work towards uh, advocate the uh, seven United Nations suggested uh, sustainable development goals. And then these all types of things, I think, to build uh, a wider spectrum to attract different foreigners will we'll, we'll think Hong Kong or the street of Hong would be interested for them to come to Hong Kong. Right, and I'm going to ask a question that Danny is uh, dying to find out, and uh, that is, when will registration begin? Well, actually, the public registration starts with uh, July 20. To make you more easy to remember, this is actually the first Humans to step on the moon. That actually, we, we, we try to make it uh, street of as a full marathon distance. It's also like dream come true. All right, uh, Mr. Lung, unfortunately, this is all we have time for today. Good luck with the street of and thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Anders Lung. He's uh, the CEO and co founder of the organizer Run Our City. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and to our guest presenter, Danny Gittings, and producer, Angie Mann. I'll be back with another episode of Backchat tomorrow with Philip Wong.